How can you change your life and restructure a whole company due to COVID in weeks? How can you slow down to speed up? How can you create more balance in your life? How can you act when you don't know what decision to take? If you want to find out more about the answers to these questions, listen until the end. Our guest today is a very driven woman who went from starting her career in times of crisis, not finding a job and having to move out of her hometown, Milan, to being a sought-after managing director in a multi-million euro company. She shared with us what it means to be kind at work, what's the recipe for getting results, how to go beyond the fear of change, mistakes made by leaders and characteristics they should have, what is the most important thing we can do after making a decision, what to do when you're stuck in a job or situation, Things that were not taught that could help us create compounding effects in our lives. So listen closely to Federica Parigi. Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, we have a very driven woman who went from starting her career in times of crisis, not finding a job and having to move out of Milan, her hometown, to being a sought-after managing director in a multi-million euro company. She worked in different countries, taking her family along with her, and now, and for the past years, is working from Milan. She's now a mother of two beautiful children, one arriving just last year, 2020. So please help me in welcoming Federica Parigi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to you, Christina. I really appreciate what you're doing, and thank you very much. I'm honored of being part of your podcast series. I'm really happy to have you here. I've met this woman in a few events and I'm really drawn to directors and managers who are kind of like behind the scenes, moving the whole engine, and especially being a woman. So I'm really excited to have you here and share part of your journey and part of your story. So would you mind telling a little bit how was your beginnings and what made you move out of Milan? Yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, I was born in Milan and uh, attending all, all my studies in, in Milan. And then uh, I did the Bocconi University. And it was a very specific time because it was right after I, I got my degree right after the internet bubble. So my parents wanted me to study economics and the Bocconi University, which is, a, a renew, which is an, an, an important name in Italy, because at that time, it was kind of normal that you get offers from companies before even you get you could get your degree. So it was kind of a, a safe place to to get a job, a full time job. And uh, but at that time it, there was the internet bubble. So when it was my time, <laughs> nobody was was calling anybody <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I started sending my CVs in Paris and uh, in London uh, because I wanted to uh, have an international, to develop an international background. And Paris answered first. So I had the first uh, job uh, in Paris where I stayed seven years. And uh, the funny part of this is that my last name in Italian means Paris because uh, my last name is Parigi. 
and I married to a French guy, which I met before <laughs> moving to Paris. So, <laughs> so you were destined from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> France was in my destiny, definitely. Spent seven years then, and then I decided, I, I was working in software companies in marketing, and uh, Alfio Bardola, which is the company I represent right now, uh, was my customer at the time. And then when I saw that there was a, a job position open in marketing as a marketing director, I immediately contacted him saying, okay, I would like to get back to Milan for personal reason, basically. And then we started working together. How was your change from Milan to Paris? Like at the very beginning, it's a new country, it's a new language, it's everything is new. How was that for you? Well, I, I've always been very a very driven person. I found Paris a very, very uh, nice environment to live. It's a city where I always find myself totally comfortable at first sight. It was love at first sight. But on the other side, it's a very complicated city to live in because relations are very different different, sorry, compared to Italian. There is a strict separation between the personal side and the business side, where while in Italy, there is a sort of mixture. And uh, French people are not easy. I, <laughs> I can say that being married to a French guy. Um, but still, these people, it's a place that I loved a lot, that I, where I learned most of the things that I believe are part of my, of my skills today. And if I could say that something made the difference in my career is having this French approach to things, which is kind of detached and uh, they rarely fall in love with ideas, very oriented to figures, numbers to sustain their decisions. And the, this separation they can make between the personal side and uh, the, the business side, I think it's very useful in mm. the day-by-day day day business, especially being a woman. Why do you say that? Uh, there was a book, a very interesting book I read, I don't remember the name, several years ago when I was in Paris, uh, on uh, suggestions on how to uh, have a career as a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the most interesting things is that I believe, and it was written also in that book, that women they do their auto-sabotage most mm. of the times in careers. Because women tend to be the, the shoulder you can cry on, tend to be the person you can chat with, you can exchange some, you know, some, yeah, some chatting, some... Uh, women are, are also uh, the, the people who bring food at job. Uh, sometimes they bring uh, sweeties, Cake, yeah. cakes, etc., which is great, but this can make... This makes a difference compared to, to men. And I believe that if you cannot make, if you cannot draw a line between your personal side, which is, I like sweets and I can give you sweets, and the professional side, it makes things more complicated because what we teach women when they are young is be kind, smile, don't offend people, don't scream too much. You're, you're a kind girl, you're a princess. Mm -hmm. But when you are in, in a professional environment, you are not a woman, you are a professional. And professional rules somehow are driven by men. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, if you smile, you're kind, you cannot get 
what the same respect somehow that you get in other situation, which doesn't mean that we cannot be women and professional at that time. It's just we are playing with some rules. And I believe it's important that we can make the difference between what I am as a professional and what I am as a person. And we can go out of the job after uh, one job is over and we can have a drink and have dinner together and have fun. But I have my duties, my responsibility during the job. And uh, I have my mission and our mission uh, that requires to take some decisions. And uh, it's a mistake to have everything mix it for my experience and you mentioned now being kind is is one thing that we're taught as women and is different in the job uh, when you're a professional how is it to be kind in in the professional environment i believe being kind is having the courage to say the things as you see them but in a way that doesn't offend at all you the person you're talking to Mm -hmm. And being kind means to me defining clearly that the reason why we are having a conversation is to find a solution. And this solution passed through the fact that we have to watch the things like uh, or describe the things like we see them, even if we don't don't agree. Uh, well, some, somehow being kind for for young girls is more don't offend the other, don't, you know, just say yes. Smile, say yes. Don't show up yourself too much. I had to work on that because I couldn't feel comfortable. But when I understood that being clear, the most clear with the, with the person I'm dealing with was more beneficial than, than uh, damaging the other person, then I, I thought it was... Uh, a secret SAP to, to get results. Did you find, because you now are in a more managing director position, were you able also to bring your way of doing things in, not just playing by the rules of others, by creating your own rules? Yeah, this is, I believe this is the only way to run a business and to be okay uh, with ourselves. I do not believe there is a manual for mm. running a business. I just believe it, there is experience somehow uh, feelings and uh, very, very talent. Where, where with talent, I mean our talent that we need to keep on developing and the talent of the people around us. One of the biggest mistakes I believe people make when they think of leaders is that they are the leaders, they are the talent. But leaders are talent if only there are talents around and you need to become a talent to have talents around because they won't stick with you. They yeah. won't stay if you're not. So this creates a virtual circle that can bring excellence. But getting back to your question, I don't believe there is a manual for that. But the way I found to do things is to review what I'm doing and why I'm doing it every single time. Mm -hmm. which can be sometimes frustrating for people working with me because we it's a never-ending job. But I believe a company is like a clock, a mechanism of a clock. So when you tick one mechanism, then you have to tick all the others so they, they keep on working. And when, when you, you get to the last one, you have to start again, ticking and ticking. And in this way, we get the sm small improvements there is a rule, the 1% improvement, which in the end, 1% multiplied by 1% by 1% can make a huge impact mm -hmm. in results. Compounding effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think as you experience, you learn. And then the, the, the good thing is not to get, get stuck in one thing, but to keep learning and to keep improving and to keep observing and to keep, like you say, tweaking all the, all the things around your company. But some people are afraid of change. Once they get to a place where things seem to work, they're comfortable and then it's like they don't want anything to change. How do you go above and beyond that? Uh, it happened to me as well. When COVID arrived, I was running a profitable business in seminar business. We are in the seminar business running events, live events uh, in uh, hotel rooms and uh, Congress spaces that were rented. And we knew we had to develop the digital side of this business. But I was pretty scared because we were having a 13 million business with live events and adding an online uh, alternative, I thought it could make crash my business or change it in a way I couldn't control. I couldn't. So when COVID arrived, I said, okay, this is life telling us, stop doing what you are doing. Now you have to act. And then in two weeks, I made a digital, a very, very quick uh, digital transformation of the company. And uh, I had a great team working so hard during uh, the COVID. It was during uh, mid-February to mid-March, publishing uh, three different online seminars very, very quickly. And then in three months, we had all our seminars translated in Italian and partially in Spanish because we were working also on the Spanish market. It was a, a great effort made, but this ensured us to be one of the one of the few companies in uh, education that could react fast and have profits during this very tough year. So two things about that. One is how do you make such a decision? Is it only you? Do you have a team? And how do you approach it so that when people have fear to make a decision, what could help them to make the decision? And then I'll ask the other question. Yeah. Um, this kind, to be honest, this kind of decision often come from me because I have, uh, I, I'm okay with change right now. And I think I tend to change a lot of things. For example, ju just to make you an example, uh, I wasn't okay with uh, email marketing software we had. We just paid for the, the setup of these and we run with this software like one year and a half and I wasn't happy and now I'm changing it and most of the people were saying to me no don't do it etc but then I, I got 70% restore or saving let's say compared to the other software so I changed it to this new one which is going to give us much more so I, I think we don't need to be scared because there are opportunities around of course changes need to be uh, analyzed carefully and uh, so most of the time I bring change topics on, uh, on, on the floor and on the table and uh, I tend to let the conversation open. So I explain all the, I'm an analytical person. So I, I start from data, I bring the data that bring me to the decision, but then I let it open. And most of the times my original idea is enriched with a lot of other ideas or things of doing, which are much better than my original. And I believe that our goal as leaders is to create an A team, not to create uh, a team of clones. 
So the other thing is when you don't know what to, you have a decision to make and you don't know what to do, how do you approach a decision that you don't know what to do? Um, there are two ways of okay. doing that. Sometimes I just wait. I deeply believe that life is perfect. Life has its own mechanism and uh, it's a perfect lock. So I believe I'm lucky in my life and I've been lucky a lot. So sometimes I, I learn by myself that I don't need to push decisions because somehow if I'm not sure 100% that this decision is okay, somehow I, I, don't have to, I don't have to take it. Or I don't have to take it at that moment because right after a better decision will come. Which is not a strategy, I understand perfectly, but this is uh, this is part of feelings. In other situations, so this is when I don't have a right feeling. Uh, when I have a feeling, instead, I just do it. And Alfio Bardola, which is the founder of a company I work for, and it's a, it's a mentor to me, uh, a great coach, once told me something which sounds basic, but it's so powerful. He said to me, but you're going to take this decision and you're scared of that. If you take that decision, will you die? No, I don't. Okay, just take it. Because somehow mistakes we make can teach us much more than not taking any risk and staying in our comfort zone. So sometimes we have to take risk. I think the only important thing is not whether we are taking the right or the wrong decision. The only important thing is what did I learn? And I believe a leader needs to uh, needs to get look back every single time and say, okay, it was a good or a right decision. Have an answer and make a list of what could have been done better. What are the lessons that we have learned? Because this is the only way we we develop our talent. And we teach something very important to people working with us, which is don't divide to take risk. Risk are part of our life. Even I get out of, of a house and I cross the street and it's risky. Yeah. So the solution is not staying home. The solution is look around and keep on on your, on your way. Yeah, and I think that's applicable for everybody. Do not avoid making decisions, taking risks, but always learn something. Even, you know, if it went well, you have to learn something too. But especially when you did something that didn't go right, then really look for the learnings because there is a amount of learnings there for the next step that you want to take. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes they are very costly learning to mm be. -hmm. <laughs> And sometimes they are very cheap at no yeah. cost, free learnings. <laughs> <laughs> and we should we should take them every yeah. single time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think it's a big learning. If you trip big time, it's clear like, okay, there's a lesson to learn. But even sometimes it's a small insight that if you take it, it will make you grow so much more the next time. Yeah. Really important message. And you shared with me um, last time we spoke that you were working with Alfio and then you were not happy. And so you quit. How was that decision? What made you quit? Well, I don't consider my, my job as... Um, I, at the time, I was marketing director. I have never considered my job as a eight to five job or as a duty. I did it with passion. At the time, I was 35, and now I'm 42. 
And uh, I thought it was a failure for me to spend the day in a, in a place where I didn't feel okay. I didn't agree with some decision. I didn't agree with the way people was behaved by a manager that was there. And I didn't agree, to be honest, on the way how Alfio was letting everything go, even if it wasn't good for figures, it wasn't good for the business, it wasn't good for the mood of the people around. And um, it was a kind of medieval period to me. Medieval. Medieval. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when you get in a a company and you walk the corridor and... um, People don't don't say hello to each other. There's a sort of anger, unsatisfaction. And we are in a business which is great. We I love this business. We help people reach a different level in life. We help people reaching their dreams. We help people, we save lives and we create happiness. So I I, I found there was something very wrong in this. Mm-hmm. And so I said to myself that I was 13, 35, and um, I just, was just wasting my time. And uh, Alfio was wasting his money investing on me because I couldn't, I, I couldn't bring value. And uh, let, me, let me say something on value. I believe most of the younger generation mismatch the value with the tasks. You can uh, run a lot of tasks during your day but in the very end you will be paid for the value you bring and some people even negotiate uh, their salary and their improvement in career say you know I, I I work a lot you know I did everything you asked me you know yeah but you know, I have problems. I, I I cannot pay with what what I earn. I cannot pay my rental. But this is not recognizing that you have a value for the business. So most of the people should first of all think of how much value can I bring to the business. And uh, once a girl came to me asking for a raise in salary, saying, you know, I cannot, uh, yeah, using not not very interesting arguments. And then I said no because there was no value for us. And then another person came to me and said, okay, you know what? I think I can develop a a new business uh, area that will bring 1,000 leads per month. And uh, I believe these leads, he brought some statistic, can easily convert at 15%, have a 15% conversion. And it's free leads. Uh, you are not going to pay, but you know, if you want me to develop this, I would like a raise in salary of 1,000 euros per month. And I said, okay, it's never a matter of budget. It's mm. always a matter of projection. And so there I thought Alfio was, I, I couldn't add value. And then I decided to move to Switzerland and uh, found my own company in consulting. And uh, I thought it was a nice place. I had a newborn baby, she, newborn. She was two years old. And uh, my husband has always been very, very supportive. So he, he came, of course, we, we move our family there. But I didn't want this to be like a, a door smash or something. You know, I, I loved the, the company. I loved Alfio. And then I said to him, listen, I know this comes in a period of your life where you're very busy. It's a tough moment for the company. So don't. I don't want you to to rush and to find the wrong person for the marketing director position. So count on me. I will be handling marketing two, three days per week. 
and help you by the time you, you, you find someone. And I think it was March. And uh, in September, he came back to me and said, okay, you know what? I think you were right. I would like you to be the managing director of a company that you come back, etc." Nice. And so I said, yes, time to <laughs> remove the family back <laughs> from Milan. And then uh, a, a new journey started. When I hear you, it makes total sense. But for a lot of people, they get stuck in jobs where they just complain, like their environment is sucks. And why would I leave? There's nothing out there for me. I will stay here until something drops out of from heaven. <laughs> so what would have someone that feels stuck in a job that they don't like? It doesn't matter the level where they're working at to move on and be brave to get out and find something else. The first suggestion I would give is ask for feedback. Sometimes we stuck, we get stuck because we are stuck in our conviction of what we are and how things are, are going outside and inside the company. But sometimes we should just shut down our inner voice and our beliefs and listen to what others could tell us. And uh, being brave to ask for feedback, I think it's the single most important thing to do when you're stuck, because need, it somehow it's like looking yourself at yourself in the mirror and try to see the things like the other, like the other do. To get results, the easiest thing to do is to change ourselves. If it's right, sometimes it's not right and you don't have to accept that, but it's easier to change the way we behave or it's easier to change the way we think than try to change an ecosystem or a complete or an environment or your colleagues will never have an impact on the way the other think. So I, I believe it's the, the single first thing to do. Also because it could be that there are behaviors that are not effective and we don't see that we maybe bring in a new journey, in a new, uh, in a new company if we find a new one. I, I know a lot of people that replicate the same behavior and they get exactly the same results, which is somehow what Einstein said, it's crazy, the definition of being crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Expecting to have different results. That's the thing actually work a lot in coaching, but in your experience in your own life, what makes you question your beliefs? Because that's the first thing, because sometimes we cannot see what we cannot see. So how do you tackle that in your own growth? Well, I start from my goals. If my goal is to be accepted or if my goal is to be a better leader, I, for example, with my managers every year, at the end of the year, I make this review where I give them feedback, but if they allow me to do it somehow, and I ask for feedback because it could be that I wanted to reach a, a goal, but I got it slightly different or they need something from me that I couldn't recognize. And even if we don't see what's wrong with us, there is always something that can be better and depending on where we want to go. So I think that asking for feedback anyway, it should be a common practice that we're not used to because we feel judged. While feedback is not judging, it's just saying, I saw you that way. I felt that way when you say to me this. And of course, you're a coach, so you could teach much more on how to give proper feedback to people. 
Well, it's, it's something that we can all learn how to give better feedback so that it's really useful and it's not just bitching about somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do that and they, they just get into the complaining and not in the constructing. And mm-hmm. there is a big step from one to the other. And one is really helpful and the other one can be really damaging. So, but it's a good point what you're saying that it's good to hear the feedback but never forgetting also who you are. So being honest with yourself about also your own goals to see whether you're going in the direction that you want. Yeah. And then don't be scared to ask to your managers or to people you, you need to ask eventually, what should I do to get there? I want to be the leader of a company. I want to be the manager of a company. I want to be whatever. I'm not there and you're not giving to me this position. What should I do to get there? I believe... Maybe I, 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 I told you before, I always felt lucky. So maybe I'm living in a, in a sort of bubble. <laughs> but I believe outside there is a lot of people that want to have good things for the people that, that work for them. And I believe there are a lot of entrepreneurs, if asked, could say, you should study more, you should learn that language, you should learn how to be a leader, you should do things. And uh, I believe nothing is free in life. You, there is a price for everything. And uh, sometimes people complain, but are not willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So complaining will never help. Asking can help. That's a good point. So pay attention, everybody. Ask. <laughs> Ask. Also, you've switched and now you are a manager. So now you have to hire people. Yeah. How do you attract talent? Well... Talents are difficult <laughs> because talents stay with talents. If you have a guy playing in the in the Champions League and you put it in a team of play of C players, he won't stay because he will get bored. But talents need to feel like talents. So you need to have a, as much as possible, create an environment where they can express themselves. It's easy when you have a small company. When a company starts to be more structured, then there is always a trade-off between, I want you like you free and add the most value to the job, but I would like you to do it in a way which is predictable and that sticks to, a, to the plan. For example, in terms of sales, the goal of our sales salesperson is to sell very high level products like a 24K coaching program. While what the business needs is that you enlarge the basis so you sell also lower price. So it's difficult have people running the, the way you would like, feeling free to express themselves in the meantime. And um I think talent attraction is something very important for every company and too many companies underestimate the value of having people that are brains at the table. Remember, it is said, and I think it's really true, if you are the clever clever person in the room, you're the dumbest. You're in the wrong room. (laughs) Yeah, you're in the wrong wrong room, yeah. (laughs) So... To attract people, you need to think. You need to create an environment that they feel comfortable with and what they feel they can be can add value to themselves and they can add value as a reciprocity. And on the other side, you need to put the management and yourself in discussion constantly in order to have people that can discuss your orders, can discuss your ideas, but that is okay. And 
somehow I believe that this will make the difference more and more in the future between companies that get results and companies that stick to the results they have and they implode. Implode. So either you grow or you implode if Mm. you don't figure out. And what is that you enjoy most of your job? Um, Well, I love a lot of things on my job. It's a really dynamic job. I love the fact of being totally free, totally free to make experiments, totally free to test new products, to test new systems uh, in terms of sales, in terms of, uh, you know, new products or, or whatever. And I love the fact that when I look back, when I look around me, I see people with a lot of passion. I live in a passionate world and this makes all the difference. There is no people complaining. And if they complain very quickly, they, they quit because it's it's an environment that pushes you away. I'm surrounded by people who want to get results, who want to make the world a better place that is really sticking to our mission. And uh, this changed the taste of the efforts we do. It's not an effort anymore. It's like we are we are working for something bigger than I am, than they are. And I love the fact that they all try not to be the key component of our company. We all work for us to be replaceable so that our mission can keep on moving, even after us, even after our uh, let's say after we get sick, or even after or during our pregnancy, or even after we quit eventually. So that is a, a big work with your ego, because uh, in depending on which environment, the ego takes over, and you want the recognition, and the recognition goes beyond and over, you know, the work that you do. So that means that you have people that have done some work on that. And well, we work in an ego business. <laughs> being on stage <laughs> being on stage requires ego yeah. and Alfio said honestly says uh, well I did this I did this company because of my ego I want to satisfy <laughs> and so I believe that working in this environment requires in, in the in the back lines require not to have much ego but still as a leader I believe our job is to have the other people shine and not to take all the lights on us this is the the best way to have everybody involved and have everybody feeling that they can make the difference in their daily job from customer care to sales team to marketing to lead generation to whatever they can all make the difference because it's a tweaking mechanism (laughs) everybody is participating in the tweaking yeah, everybody, exactly. Otherwise, if you're not participating in tweaking, you're, you have no place. Mm-hmm. You are not part of mechanism. You are yeah. useful. And uh, I think lean companies work much better than companies that are redundant and have people that are not useful. So in, in terms of ego, I, I, I don't have ego. I never had that much. I, well, of course, I like to, to get results, but I don't, I, I don't like to... To say, oh, it's my, it's, it's, it's me. It's always us because it's true. It's always us. And um, I believe there is a misconception hierarchy considering that everybody below in the bottom serves people in top. To me, it's the opposite. People in top serves the first lines. They need to get refurnished. They need to get restored. They need to get supported. And we are there to support our first line. 
this is the only way where we can ask something in return if we need, if we can, we can ask the extra effort, the extra mile that we always need in our companies somehow and, and somewhere. So you're you're serving and you're for the people that work with you and for you. Yeah, yeah. it's very important to me. I have my assistant saying, okay, but you shouldn't dedicate that much time to people, you know. Uh, before this this meeting, I spent one hour discussing. I just changed, just just to change, I changed um, <laughs> the, the the sales team. It was a team composed of uh, in triangles. So there was a manager and the junior sales, etc. So I changed and split it in two teams, one in the acquisition team and the other one in a retention team. And this created some, some unhappy uh, situation with, uh, with some sales who couldn't understand really the reason why. And I spent one hour discussing with one of those, explaining all the things, because it's very important for me that if we are aligned on the reason why, this change is necessary. And he's, if he's with me and aligned with the company, we can get results. It's not company against the salesperson, company against the employee. It's we are all together. If we work, let's say, if we go in the same direction, we can get the right results. Otherwise, there are two forces that don't fit together. Yeah, for that key is communication. Like yeah, key is communication and dedicate time. So in some companies, I would say, the managing director would have spent one hour. We, we are 150 people. The, maybe the managing director would have spent one hour with, with a junior sales. He's been only one year, he's in the company, explaining why he shouldn't be hungry, angry and the reason behind this change. And I did because I think it's very important that they feel there is a reciprocity, that we are on the same uh, on the same page and they are important because everybody's important that's a beautiful message yeah and uh, in terms of your life because we are doing the change makers podcast what is a big change or obstacle that you've been through that has really impacted you you know i, I told you i i felt very lucky in my life i have a beautiful family with two two daughters one she one is eight years old, the other one is nine months, and uh, I've been married. It, it's been eleven years. I've, I've been married, and uh, I have my parents living close to me, and they are very helpful with uh, also uh, the family management uh, stuff. So I felt very lucky of not going through hard times. And so I wouldn't say, for respect to other people who went through hard times, I wouldn't say I had hard times. Of course, putting all the things together is not easy. Being a manager and a leader in a company, we are listed, so there is also that, that, that part that makes the things more complicated. And being a mother and being a, a, a daughter and being a wife is not easy altogether. And I would say the biggest challenge is trying to be yourself, but differently home compared to when you are working. I think it, it's, it's something pretty common in, in women leaders. When you are being yourself completely and you are a command in chief for 10 hours per day, and then you get back home, it's pretty easy to give orders, you know, say, okay, you do that, you do that, you do that. And then, okay, no, wait, calm down. <laughs> so change the hat is not that easy. And, and I would say that 
having a good work-life balance, understanding that around you, parents, uh, husbands, and children, they need a different you, which is you, but they don't need that side. That side is useful for me and is useful for the company, but is not useful at home. I think it's uh, it's very important egoistically for me because there I really can serve my family, can be useful to my family. And I think there is a beautiful message also for my daughters, but you can be whatever you want and uh, you, you don't need to choose what to be. And I think it's the best way uh, to feel more complete. Once I read a book, very important to me, which is called to put your oxygen mask first. And I believe life is like that. So sometimes you have to understand what's your limit. And uh, when you are are reaching that limit, you need to know what's good for you. But you have to stop and do what's good for you. While before COVID, and I think COVID helped a lot of people in that, in understanding that point. Before COVID came, I was living a life very full, very full, but it was too much. I was uh, um, running in a rat race, waking up, uh, bringing the, the, my, it was, I had only one daughter at that time, bringing her at school. And then uh, I was rushing, have a job all the time, getting back at 8, 9 p.m., having dinner and spending a really few time with, with, with her. I was living in a rat race and uh, I, I wasn't considering everything that was good in my life. And I was not dedicating that much attention and not dedicating enough time. So when COVID came and we had to stop and stay home and work from home, um, I suddenly recognized how many things I I didn't do with my daughter, how many dinner I did, I did not prepare for my husband. And this is not about serving here, it's about sharing, you know. Mm-hmm sharing love, sharing moments, creating family moments that stay when you get when you get older then. And so I said to myself that I it wasn't good for me and it wasn't good for, um, for my family and it wasn't good for the company as well that I was so much involved without having enough, enough oxygen to me, you know. So then I read the book, Put Your Oxygen Mask First, that says basically that you need to to be a leader and a mother and uh, whatever you want in life, you need to know what's good for you. And uh, there there is a spiritual area, um, let's say a religion area, and uh, there is the physical part and the mental part. So there are four parts in your life. And you need to be sure that your planning takes into consideration the four areas and I believe as leaders and managers and the more duties we have or the more we are involved in what we are doing the more we tend to consider that the physical part and the the spiritual part are not important which they are so learn to say okay stop I put my oxygen mask first this is not be about being selfish but it's about helping others then and so what have you changed well uh i changed a lot of things i, I even don't don't remember how was life was like you don't remember how was life before <laughs> i don't have that much memory <laughs> but i we are interviewing federica 2.0 <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Um, I change a lot of things. Uh, I I do homeworks with my daughter. I don't order on the Liveroo anymore. Have <laughs> a dinner. I spend more time, much more time with my family. And for example, I just book the flights for next summer from uh, July 13 to August 27, which is a long time, I know. But anyway, what I have to do here, I can do it from, from the beach, but then I can, I can spend quality time with my family instead of pushing them to stay in Milan, which is very hot and there's nothing to do and everything is closed. Um, but beside the jokes or more, uh, let's say, more practical um, things, I understood really that I, I need a more balance in my life. And I think an effective leader is someone who understands what's good and what's not good. Because also you give example, because if you have more balance, it means that you will also make sure that the people that work with you have more balance. Yeah. So that you'll bring your best self and your more energized self to the job. Yeah. Um, whatever that is. So it's always also with example. If they see you dying hard and, and not having a family life, maybe also they get the impression that's the only way to be there. And if you show them that there is another way to do it, which is more balanced, where you really take into account more time with your family, then they see the possibility that maybe they want that. I totally agree. I totally agree. And then um, everybody has his way of find his own way of finding a balance. Um, balance could be being on, on the, you know, let, let's assume there is a zero, there is minus one and plus one, like a counter. Mm -hmm. So balance could be being on the zero every time. So walking straight in the line, or it could be going from minus one to plus one. So doing things very, very uh, concentrated and then stop it and then doing another thing. There is no, there is a big oh, question no to me, what, what, what's balance is being on zero every time. So having a, a very well-balanced daily routine or is having, let's say one week during dying hard on one task and the other week during, during completely the opposite. I have no answer on that. I tend to be in this second situation. Uh, <laughs> but because I'm a passionate person. Uh, passionate, yeah. Passionate, yeah. I don't think there's also one way. I think the good thing is to see the options. So to see that there's not only one option. So if we see that to be our, a woman leader in this case, because we usually have to take more care of the kids, and especially at the beginning, Um, the only way is that you have to choose one or the other, then it makes it more scary for women to jump into leadership positions because it means you have a choice and only one. But mm -hmm. to see different options gives you also, first of all, it opens your mind to more possibilities. And then you see, oh, she's doing it this way and she's doing it that way. And I like better this way. And this resonates better with me. So the fact that you have different options, I think is good so that you can okay. see... Yeah, there's there's many ways to do things. Some people like to work in chunks of time. Some people like to work, you know, all the time in this and then switch into these. And as long as you enjoy the process, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And then you have your emotional bell saying, 
okay, now you have to stop. Now you have to consider another aspect that you're not considering right now. But but anyway, everything starts by knowing ourselves and knowing what's good for us and what's not. How is your day, like a single day? How do you manage all the things that you have to manage? Family, motherhood, a director, you know, the employees. And how do you manage it? Well, as I said before, I have a, a husband and a mother and father that help me a lot. So I would say it's pretty easy for me to manage the girls. Well, I, I wake up to, to, to be to go into details. I wake up and I take care of a, of a newborn baby uh, while my husband comes back from school, from bringing the elder one from school. Then we have breakfast together and then he brings the, the newborn to my mother and then I start my day. Uh, the day right now ends at six, maximum six, which is something I could never do before. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I get out and I do my calls and uh, meetings uh, at the phone, walking when there is a nice day because otherwise staying home most of the time is not Uh, it's not very effective and uh, I don't like it that much. And now I manage three companies, three different companies in the same time, one big and uh, other two startups, small. So I would say it's a very, it's a very normal day. Uh, <laughs> very normal day, not, nothing special except people around me who help me be focused, have a focus on what I feel I have to do. I know for a lot of people, it will feel overwhelmed. Like, oh my God, mother and this and the job and the direction and da, 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 da. What keeps you not being overwhelmed? Because it's my passion. Sometimes I believe I'm doing it too much. But the, the point is, I chose that. I'm here because I want that. It's not that, it's not that it happened somehow. Well, it happened because I wanted. And as I, as I wanted that, I know that I could switch and I could quit and I could do everything uh, I would like. Or I, can, I could do more even. Just I'm not pushing that much <laughs> because I, I need to, to take this balance. But I know that I could push more, <laughs> okay. which scares people who work with me. <laughs> So they're happy with your new balance then? Yeah, they're happy with my new balance. <laughs> What was your mindset to, to bring a company you were sharing from, from 1.5 million or something like that to the 15 million? How, how did you do that? Well, I learned a lot from Alfio. We were uh, performing at 1.5 million and he came to me and he said, okay, we can make 3.7 million. And remember, it was, we had the five previous years having results around 1.5, 1.7 million, not, not higher. So it was more than a double in results. So I looked at him and said, but how, how do you do? Oh, no problem. You just make a plan. And it was so, such a basic answer that I look at him and say, you're a genius. <laughs> Because he pushed me saying, don't ask me how, 
you can find a solution. There is always a solution to have a compound effect. There is a, a book which is called Domino Effect, which requires you to ask you a question. What's the single domino piece that you, if you hit that domino, all the dominoes fall down? So I started asking myself, what was the single driver of our company that could make a difference, which I, if I multiply that element, I could multiply the results of the company. And I figure out that there were two main indicators, number of leads generated per month and number of sales handling those leads. So I started investing more in lead generation and I started hiring people. In that year, we hit 3.7 million. The year after, we hit 5.6 million. The year after, we hit almost 10 million. The year after, we hit 13 million. And then COVID arrived. <laughs> <laughs> It came and uh, we hit seven million. Wow, but still very good. Same, yeah, but the, with the same margin of the, the 13 million. Wow. So it was good. For yeah. investors, it was a good deal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you found the piece. <laughs> yeah, I found the piece. Yeah, of course, piece change yeah. in the meantime. But this is to say that sometimes we get scared because we tend to consider uh, I, I used to trade, I, I used to work in trading and in trading, there is a backtesting function. So basically you plug your indicators on your strategy on, on the graph and you backtest and, and, and so and test how this strategy would have performed in the past. But all uh, websites and everything in trading, there is a, there is a disclosure saying backtesting is not a guarantee of future results. It's not because it worked in the past, but it could work in the future. So most of the times we tend to repeat things that worked in the past, expecting that we'll give the same results in the future. But the problem is that future contains conditions that could be totally different from the past. So wondering What's the single domino I should hit to have all the other dominoes pieces uh, would create two conditions. The first thing is we put us in the position of doing the things differently. The second condition is you tend to consider the most valuable piece in your strategy instead of working with tactics, which is one of the reasons why we don't get compound effect. We don't work on a strategy we don't work on the, the most valuable element in our company, but we work on small tactics that bring results, but maybe not the massive impact we need. So it's making the distinction between strategy and tactics. Yeah. I think sometimes we confuse them as being the same. Yeah, which is not. Strategy Even in life. Yeah. yeah. Even in, yeah. The tactics that you use for something, it might not be the strategy and, and you have to look at the strategy. Yeah. I will, I will spend hours talking with you, but I want to be respectful of, of your time. I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, what is a change that you want to see in the world? Ah, this is a tough question. <laughs> well, there are a lot of things I would like to change. I would say the most important, I would like the people understand that there is a, a huge difference in what we do, in what they do. Not every task has the same value, not every action or every thought has the same value. 
And I believe at school and in families, they don't teach us to separate things, separate faults and distinguish what are faults that have a high emotional value and high money value or high value anyway from faults on tasks, on things that do not have value. And since we we are not used to make this distinction, we don't work on things that really count for us. And so I see people spending life, living life that they are unsatisfied with. I see people living in conditions that are, they are not fair to them. And uh, as I believe that most of the conditions we are in are generated by the way we think. I, I believe, I would love that there will be a school or a system that teach people to understand what has a value. Even in words, even in, in your relationship, even with your friends. Yeah, this is a, a, a massive change. And changing that would change the way people live their lives, mm. would change the, the way people choose their job. They would change the way they believe, they act and behave in their marriage. Uh, how many marriages have failed because the people concentrate on focus on something that in the end it wasn't valuable. So we need a thinking belief and value school for kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it would be a great thing to do. Well, thank you so much, Federica, for being here. I would really spend like hours talking with you, <laughs> but yeah, we absolutely. we will put below like your your information if people want to reach you. Um, but thank you and uh, stay connected. And again, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It was an hour that passed very very fast. So <laughs> I would I would love to do that again. Thank you. Very much. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Bye-bye.